How many of you could use some more money? How much more money do you need? A lot? How are you going to get that money? Work, right? You got to do it. You got to find something extra. So there's never enough money, it seems like, right? So it doesn't matter. Even whenever you listen to millionaires, they say, hey, I need a little bit more money. I need a little bit more. And so there's this innate thing in us that there's a little bit more that we need because money seemingly provides what we think is security. And so what we're really searching after is security. And so over the next few weeks, I want us to think about this idea of pursuing money and being strapped and that what we're when we're pursuing money, we're really pursuing security and what it means for us to find our security in Christ. And if we find our security in Christ, that the money that we have then becomes not something that owns us, but that we then become stewards of it and how we can become generous with it. Because I know that's the heart of, of us is that we want to be generous. And uh, many times we don't have the ability to be generous when we have those moments because we're owned by our stuff, we're owned by the debts that we own. And so we look at our bills and we go, I want to be generous, but because I'm enslaved to this, I can't be the generous person that I want to be. So that's the idea over the next few weeks of what it means to be strapped. I want, I did ask, I was going to try to get like a straight jacket and come up here and get in that and try to get out of it and all that stuff, but there's none in town. So you guys are safe. We don't have any straight jackets. So that's good. So what does it mean to be strapped? Here's a few slides. I want you to just kind of give you some stats to think about and just kind of put this in your mind this week as I was thinking about this. 95% of couples fight over money often. If you're married, don't punch your spouse or whatever. But we, we have this thing, again, security. We, we fight over, we talk about, we discuss loudly, we have great discussions over the money thing, right? So usually in a marriage, opposites attract. And so there's one that's a thrifty, frugal person, and then there's another person who likes to spend. And so there's this constant balance going back and forth, usually. Not all the time, but, but there's always this discussion about money. And then would it be any... Uh, surprise to us then that the number one reason that couples say, hey, that we split up and we get a divorce is over money because there's just this constant tension over it. The average household now has over $16,000 in credit card debt. That's a lot of money. That's average. So those of you that are really frugal and don't have any uh, credit card debt, you're like, yay. But then also go, hey, if that's 16000 is average, and that means that there's somebody out there that's got 32 or whatever at 18.5%. And so they're digging a hole and they're digging it fast. And so what does that look like? The average car loan is over $30,000. How many of you remember when you could buy a house for $30,000? All right. Some of you, you're older than you look. Uh, the average mortgage now is 196000 That's crazy to think about. When we were in Denver, when we were leaving Denver, the average, the median house price was $425,000. $196,000 would buy you a two-bedroom condo in Denver. So money isn't going quite as far. Um, less than 50% have one-month emergency fund. All right? That's not a whole lot. So that means that most people don't have an emergency fund. And so whenever an emergency happens and they're going to happen, you, you are in trouble. Emergency all of, a, all of a sudden becomes a catastrophe. 30% of retirees have a retirement account. This is... So when you think Social Security and IRA or all this 5013B, all those different things, only 30% actually have retirement money upon retirement. That means 70% don't have anything. They're living literally mouth, hand to mouth. And so um, that's a scary thought for us to think about. And again, I want you to get this idea, 196000 is the average mortgage, all right? So if you're below that, you're like, yeah. If you're above that, you're like, I'm above average. 
Okay? Um, the average student loan right now is $51,000. That's a chunk of change, right? So students are like, hey, I've got $51,000. And then let's add to this the next thing. The average class of 2016, they average not only $51,000 in student loans, but then also additional debt. So that would be like credit cards and stuff like that. That's a lot of Taco Bell visits and books. Which ones do you think? And Whataburger and stuff. And so 37000 plus 50-something thousand, that's almost $90,000 in debt upon graduation. And um, as well-educated as they are leaving, most people are not making $90,000 in their first gig. So they're, again, doing it. And then here's also something that we've learned. As psychologists even tell us, hey, that we spend 12 to 18% more when we use a credit card or a debit card. So that's why... They have all these restaurants and all this stuff. They've gone to credit cards and everything. They love it because we upsize, because it doesn't hurt us. It doesn't physically hurt us. Psychologists have studied the fact that when we pay with cash, when we pay with dollars and cents, it literally physically hurts us to hand over money. And so that we actually spend less. So when they say, hey, when you have cash and they say, hey, that's going to be 19.95, and you're like, I got a 20. That means that's my whole 20. It literally hurts you to hand that over. Where if you have a debit card or a credit card and they say, hey, do you want to, it's going to be 1995. Do you want to upsize? And you're like, yeah, go for it. Upsize the whole restaurant, you know, because it doesn't hurt us. It doesn't physically hurt us. And so it's that whole idea. And so there's a, a reason maybe for us to go with cash and to, and to help out in that area. If you're someone who's quick to, to do that. Um, 66%, again, this shouldn't surprise us with 70% not having retirement accounts. Almost 70% don't have enough money to retire, all right, or to, to step away from work for a little bit. And then here's the one that scares me the most. It's 78%. So 80% of full-time workers are living paycheck to paycheck. In other words, if you lose your job, you're not going to be able to make it to the next thing because you don't have emergency fund. You don't have anything. You're, you're literally living. Every single penny is accounted for. And you don't have any savings. And so you're going to, like, again, losing something automatically becomes an emergency and um, so you're strapped down, you're weighed down, you're enslaved to, you're burdened by. And the scripture even tells us that when you're under weight of, of, um, of debt, it literally wastes away at your bones. It dries you up and kills you because of the weight of what it means for us to be enslaved to. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says it this way. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. This idea of servant is literally a slave. And so, again, this is a kind of a, a concept that um, we think we understand it, but it's a little bit removed from in history, this idea of being a slave. One is a slave is not a person. It's someone who's owned, and so they don't, they're a thing to someone. So there's that part. But then also the other part is they don't, if you're a slave, you didn't have time that was your own time. So there wasn't like an eight to five deal. There wasn't like coffee breaks. There wasn't like, hey, you get to go to lunch and do all this different stuff. Whenever you were a slave, you were totally owned. Everything about you is owned. And so you had to go do, you had to be, you were totally consumed by someone else's direction. And so what the scripture is teaching us is that we are enslaved to the lender. So those things that you want, those things that you need, those things that you pursue after, that whenever you, in that moment, you buy them, you then enslave yourself. You are now not your own. Those things own you. Right? And so this is an interesting idea for us, is that when we pursue these things that give us an image, the clothes that we wear, the houses that we live in, the cars that we drive, all these different things that we need, 
in the moment that we're not paying for them, fully paying for them, and we're in, becoming indebted to them, we're actually being owned by them, and they then drive us, and they own us, and they then suck the life out of us. We live in a culture that is strapped down financially, and we're struggling to make. Even though the economy is growing, even though all these things are happening, we're still struggling. We have house payments. We have car payments. We have credit card payments. We have student loan payments. We have all these different payments that we've got, and they're strugg- we're struggling to make them, and they're causing a strife in our own life. They're causing strife in our marriage. And so marriage tension and all these things are happening because we think that we need and we're pursuing something and some things and an image that we want. Here's the one thing. Two-thirds of the Gospels talk about money. So Jesus spent an excessive amount of time sometimes, it feels like, talking about money and that our hearts are drawn to money. Our hearts are drawn to an image. Our hearts are drawn to worship Something else out here because we pursue and we want security. We want people to look at us. We want whatever it is that comes with money. We want that. And Jesus knows that we're going to pursue those things sometimes and push him and push our relationship with him, our relationship with God to the side in pursuit of that. And so he spends an enormous amount of time talking about money and possessions and how we pursue those things. So I want you to see this morning a couple of things, some temptations of money and possessions. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says this, No one can serve, no one can be enslaved the two masters. This is actually a ridiculous idea, right? If you're enslaved to one thing, how can you be enslaved to something else? And so Jesus is using kind of this ridiculousness for us, the the magnitude of it. He's saying, listen, you can't be serving one master here and another master over there. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one. And despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now some of your older versions may say mammon. Some of you have that version. And that's a great word. This word mammon. Originally, and in your versions, it would have a capital M for mammon. But originally, it was a lowercase m. And so this lowercase mammon was whenever someone would take something that they valued, whether it was money or a possession or coins or something like that, they would take it to the bank or someone and they would give it over to them and entrust them with their valuables, okay? So you would go to, hey, you have a friend that has this safe room, a lock room, and you'd go to them and say, hey, listen, I entrust you with my most valuable possessions. Here they are. They're yours, all right? So that's the beginning of that word. But over time, it became mammon with a capital M because instead of entrusting your valuables over to someone else, it literally became I trust wholly in those possessions, And so that now that those things that I would entrust to other people, now they give me worth and value, and I begin to literally worship them. And so in the Greek world at that time, they moved it from a lowercase m to a capital M because they saw it as another god that people worshipped, that they would worship their wealth, that they would worship the possessions, they would worship everything about that wealth and the security it brought for them. And so that that was what they're saying. You can't serve both God and mammon. There's two different gods that you're worshipping. And when you entrust yourself, when you entrust your life to your wealth, then you're worshiping something other than God. And you're finding your security, you're finding your worth and your value in your mammon, not in your God. And so it's a powerful image for us. And then the, So that we're tempted to serve money is the first thing. The second thing is that we're tempted to love money, that we pursue it. So if you remember this, maybe some of you, you've dated before, and when you're pursuing someone and you're trying to, you kind of feel, have these little fluttery feelings and sometimes we call it love or whatever it is and you're pursuing them and you're after them you do anything right you're you're radically pursuing 
And so this next scripture is talking about this. When we love something, we're, we have this heart motive, this heart movement and motivation to, to show them or show something that we love them. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul tells Timothy, he says, For the love of money, literally our heart pursuit, is the root of all kinds of evil. So roots, you know, the, the deeper the roots go, the harder it is to, to root it up. I'm not a, a gardener, but there are those moments that you want to root something up, right? So whenever you want to dig something up, you want the roots to be shallow. Y'all with me? Y'all tracking? All right, so you want shallow roots when you're pulling it up. But what he's saying is, listen, when we love money, when we have a heart pursuit of it, that the roots begin to dig down and so that those things kind of take root in our life and that then all of a sudden we wake up and we're not only just loving money, but we literally crave money and we crave what we think money is providing for us. And so when we begin to crave money and have a heart pursuit after it and we're pursuing it like we're loving someone or loving something, then all of a sudden we wake up and we realize that we've been chasing something and we're in a totally different path and it causes hurt and harm because we've sloughed off the most valuable things in life, which are family and friends and all those other things, because we're pursuing what we think money will provide for us. And it's all in that moment of thinking, hey, I want this. And so then you're like, ooh, that's going to cost this, and so I've got to work a little extra. I've got to do these things and, and all that stuff. And so you realize, hey, okay, I, I want this. Why do I want this? It's because so-and-so has this or because this will add this value to my life. And so we begin to, to add these different things, and then the next thing you know, we're working longer. We're doing different jobs. We're doing all these different stuff. And the next thing that we realize that we're working so much that our family has been sloughed off and the important relationships have been sloughed off, and we're not pursuing the most valuable things. We're pursuing money. And it's all in that moment. It's a slippery movement toward the heart pursuit. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says, Those who love money will never have enough. How many of you said you had enough money when we started? None of us, right? There's something about it. There's something about we always need just a little bit more. I just need, I just need a dollar more. I need five dollars more. And so we're constantly in this movement of, of having a little bit more. And so, what, what is that? What is that like for us? And so, meaningless to think that wealth brings happiness. How many of you think that wealth will bring you happiness? How many of you would like to try? All right. You'd like to try. Well, let me, I'm going to show you a few slides of some of the richest men ever and some of the things that they thought about money and how money didn't bring, not only bring them happiness, but actually was to their bane. Henry Ford. Y'all know him? Y'all heard of Ford? Some of y'all have heard of Ford, Ford LaGrange, all that stuff. I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. I was happier when I was doing mechanics because of the wealth, the weight of the wealth and, the, and everything was weighing down on him. It was easier to say, listen, and not the mechanics job is a bad thing. It's a good paying job. But he's saying, listen, just for me to be able to go in and do the simple, simple things of it's not simple anymore, but to go work and to be distracted by that and to do that, it's powerful for him. Next is Andrew Carnegie. Y'all have probably been to a, a Carnegie, depending on which uh, history thing you watch. All right. Uh, millionaires. Seldom smile. Now, he was hanging out with millionaires. Again, the weight of that, you're just burdened down by it. And then John D. Rockefeller. I've made many millions, but they've brought me no happiness. In other words, again, this pursuit. And these guys had everything in the world. They were millions upon millions. Everybody looked to them and said, if I could just be like John D. Rockefeller, if I could just be like Henry Ford, if I could just be like, and think about these people, and they're saying, listen, all of that money never brought me happiness. 
As a matter of fact, John Astor, who was the very first millionaire in the United States, who was an immigrant from, from Germany and England, he made his first millions in the fur trade. And um, once he did that, he began to buy up real estate. Any of y'all ever heard of uh, Broadway in Manhattan? You ever heard of those places? He owned them. So he was so wealthy, he bought all of the waterfront properties around Manhattan and, and, and all that whole area, Broadway, that, also, that was his. And so whenever they began to build those big buildings in, in New York, became New York, he didn't sell them, he leased the property. So when they were building on his property, that was still his property, and he was charging them to use his stuff. So this guy was making money upon money upon money. He was the first millionaire in the United States. And here's what his says. I'm the most miserable man on earth. Money doesn't make us happy. Many of us are under the power of money and pursuing after it, thinking if I just have a little bit more, it will bring me what I need. And listen, I want you to grasp this morning is that God will provide what you need. Okay? Sometimes it's, it's miraculous. Sometimes you look at your budget and you're like, there's more month. And there's money, and sometimes you have to go without, but God provides. So why don't you to grasp is that there's a godly view of money, all right? And the first thing that I want you to grasp about this godly view of money is that money serves us as we serve God. Money serves us as we serve God. Because when we're in this whole thing of I need a little bit more, I need a little bit more, I need a little bit more, what are we doing? We're asking for us and we're kind of bringing in for us. And when we get it, then what is our natural tendency to do is this, this, we close fists and it's mine. I've worked hard for it. I have the skills. I have the talents. I'm the one that's done all the work. So now it's mine and we kind of bring it in. We hold on to it. We hold fast to it. You know what? I did that one time. I had the spent money. I worked hard, and I had a members-only, a gray members-only jacket. You guys remember those? Gals remember those? And, I mean, I was cool because I had a members-only jacket. Guess what happened? Someone stole my coolness out of my football locker. How in the world did I make it down the hallway without my members-only? Because, listen, money serves us as we serve God. In that moment, my identity had been wrapped up. I didn't even realize it, but my, money, my identity had been wrapped up in the coolness of the members-only jacket, and then it's gone, and you get mad, and you get angry, and you're like, who stole my identity? They didn't steal my identity. They stole my crazy, overpriced members-only jacket, right? But think about that, the ridiculousness of stuff, that if something that you've spent and worked hard for that you think that brings worth and value to, and it's gone all of a sudden, again, shows us the idea that we serve and we're enslaved to the things that we own. We think we own them, but they own us. And so instead of doing this, what we should be doing is doing this and saying, God, I, need to, I, I would love to become a millionaire. Why, God? Why would I love to become a millionaire? Because that then allows me to be more generous and to pass on. Money serves us as we serve God because we are stewards of that we're literally managers of God's house, and that as God blesses us, it's our opportunity to receive it and to, and to use it, but then also to be able to pass it on to others and to, and to invest in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, he even says, hey, listen, don't invest in the things of the earth because moth and rust and someone might even steal the things that you're investing in. So when you invest in these things, they're going to be fading away. Instead of investing in things that are going to fade away, invest in, he says, the next thing, invest in the kingdom of God. Invest in those things where moth and rust and, and, 
And someone can't steal that away. Invest in eternity things, in things that will last for a lifetime, that will last beyond a lifetime. Invest in those things. For where your treasure is, your heart will follow also. So if you don't believe me, look at your bank account. Go home today and look at all the debit charges. Some of you are in, in love with and in heart pursuit of Starbucks, right? Or the latte on the square or whatever it is. You're in pursuit of those things. You can quickly see. You can tell, hey, I really love my kids, right? Because you're looking at this amount, this amount, this amount. You're saying, wow, that's where my treasure is. And that's part of it. It should be. But where is your treasure is, you will see your heart strings, your wallet strings will quickly follow. Am I right? Not only am I right, is God's Word right? Our treasure is, you'll finally, you'll see your wallet following. So are we tired of being strapped down? Listen, if those stats that we've showed are true, then that's true of us. It just is. That means most of us in this room probably don't have an emergency fund. That means most of us in this room, if 80% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, then that means 80% in this room are probably living paycheck to paycheck. So it's a burden when you come to a place like this. And one of the things that we talk about as a part of worship is we say to you, hey, one of the things of worship is is that we give of our finances that God has given us. And so that every time we talk about it, if we are strapped down and burdened down by our financial weight and the things that we owe others, we immediately begin to calculate. Chris is talking about money, and I don't have any money, and I don't want to be weighed down by this, and so we kind of struggle with it. And what I want you to grasp is this, is that God wants you to have the ability to be generous when he calls you to be generous. But that so many of us, we have those moments where God says, I want you to be generous in this moment, but we can't even be generous because we calculate our bank account and realize that we can't be generous. Even though we want to be, we can't be. We don't have the ability to be. So it's not that God hasn't given us the heart. It's that we haven't protected the investment that God has made in us to be stewards of what he's given us. And so if we want more, one of the things is if we want more, then we have to be stewards of the stuff that he's given us so that if we can give those things away. So that, listen, yeah, it may be tight, but in those moments where he calls us to give it away, that we can give it away because God's economy is not our economy. God's math is not our math. And I can't explain it, but time after time after time, two plus two does not equal four in God's economy. It usually equals five or six or a hundred. And I've seen him multiply it over and over and over again, that God will do that. And all he's asking us for us is to be obedient. But for many of us, we can't be obedient because we're tied down to, we're strapped down by the things that weigh us down, the debts that we have. And so what I want us over the next few weeks is to just kind of think about what does it mean for us to be content? What does it mean for us to be able to be and have the ability to be generous like God wants us to be? This is not about beating you up. This is not about anything. I want you to find freedom. Because one of the things that means to be a follower of Jesus is that we find victory in our lives and we find freedom in our lives. And one of the places as a church that sometimes we kind of get away from is we don't talk about sex and we don't talk about money. And we talked about sex here, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about money. And I want you to be honest with where you're at because if you're not honest, then you can't move forward. Because I want you to have freedom. And ultimately, I know that God wants you to have freedom in this area so that you can have the ability to be generous when you want to be and when you need to be.
So what? That means most of us are weighed down with debt. If you're in debt, do this with me in your head. Don't say it out loud. I'm going to stop digging. Can you say that to yourself? I'm in debt, and I'm going to stop digging. Because if you're in debt and you continue to dig, the hole only gets deeper and harder and longer to get out of. You need a bigger ladder. Okay? So begin to get out of it. Stop and get out. All right? The second thing is, is again, one of the things we talk about a lot here is that the ability to be authentic and the ability to find true friendships where you can be honest with somebody. Find a friend who's financially good at dealing with money. Talk to them and say, listen, I have some struggles in this area. There's some things. And so I need, I need your help. Because as you find that friend and admit that, they can come alongside of you and help you and move you forward, and they can help you stop digging. They can take the shovel or shovels away from you or the big arm thing that you've got excavating, right? And so say, just stop, and let's begin to cover in that hole so that you can find freedom to be able to do that. Sound good? Okay? All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we say thank you for freedom. We thank you that Jesus provides freedom in all areas of our life, including our finances. And so I pray that we would just individually and as a community, that we would seek out being enslaved to and bondage to the things that we own or we think we own and Father, that we would ask that question, how much is enough? And Lord, that grow in us a heart of generosity. And also with that, Father, we ask that you would not only give us a heart for generosity, but that you would give us an ability to be generous. Because I believe that so many want to be generous, we just don't have the ability to be. So, Father, may we just confess this area to you, Father, and find a friend that can help us. We can move forward. We can find freedom in that. It's for your glory and for your fame that we pray this. It's in your son's name that we pray.